and welcome back to It's Symbolic, where we specialize in the niche. I'm Jacob Savage. I'm Mir. I'm Ben. Well, guys, it's our 10th annual extravaganza. Yay! Wow, what are we doing to celebrate? Um, I, I don't know. Did you bring a cake? Uh, I mean, were we something, st- <laughs> something struck me a little while ago. You always seem so prepared for your opening line. But then after the introduction, whatever we do to segue into the actual topic, you never have any idea for. Wow. How does that work? I had the perfect segue, actually. I just wanted to see if you wanted to get the keep the bit going, but evidently not. I don't know. Should we start over then? Yes. I want to hear what you have to say. All right. Guys, it's our 10th annual extravaganza. Boy, is it. Is that what I said last time? I actually don't remember what I said already. I I don't know, but... Do you know what the best way to celebrate is? What's that? Naturally, with senseless and chaotic violence. I'm on the other side of this computer, so I think I'm safe here. I don't know if you're with with Mir right now, but uh, I think you should probably avoid any violence. Uh, If that's what you insist on, could could we at least discuss intensing chaotic violence uh, okay that's fine all right which is good because the topic of today's discussion is the 1980s anarchist british comedy the young ones once in every lifetime comes a love like this oh i need you I'm excited for this topic. Mir, as far as I can tell, you're excited for this topic. Yes, very. Ben, as far as I can tell, you're just confused. I'm never excited to be here, quite frankly, Jacob. (laughs) Actually, that's a lie. I'm excited for this episode in particular because unlike the past couple episodes when I needed to do a whole bunch of research, this time I don't have to do jack shit. So I'm just sort of along (laughs) for the ride. Oh, there you go. So thank you, young ones. So... The basis for this show actually began in the early 80s United Kingdom comedy club scene, because to quote some of the people involved, the older comedians and the like were starting to phase out. People were beginning to realize that, you know, racism isn't funny, a lesson that they seem to have forgotten again since. (laughs) We always forget. Mm -hmm. Have you forgotten? Are are we going to need to have a talk? This led to the rise of more avant-garde and alternative comedy stylings based around absurdity, occasionally obscenity, and all-around zaniness. This was particularly evident in the London comedy club, The Comedy Store, which, to get you the sense of... What did they kind of What did they Well, sell? to give you the sense of what kind of place it was, what did they, they had the... The comedy store was in the building for, like, a couple nights a week. The rest of the time, it was a strip club. Uh-huh. Oh, that's what they sold. <laughs> yes, but it's here that we first meet a number of the people that became involved with the show. Alexi Sale served as the MC for the club. 
recent graduates, Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mayall, had an act called 20th Century Coyote, later known as the Dangerous Brothers. And Nigel Planer and Peter Richardson had a group called The Outer Limits. And it's here that you actually start to see the seeds of the show take place. I'm We're going to get into more detail later, but the actors that went on to work on The Young Ones had characters that were essentially prototypical templates for what they would eventually do on television. Oh, wow, really? Like yeah. all of them independently? Um, two of them. Namely, Rick Mayall's character of Rick and Nigel Planer's character of Neil, who, again, we'll get into later. This was a moderate success, and a local television producer, Paul Jackson, actually wanted to move this to television and see if it could be done. Hence the creation of the television special, I believe it was called, Bang Bang the Lights Go Out. Huh. Yes, it's... Now that I think about it, a lot of really experimental theater has to do with lights. I mean, you have the neo-futurists with too much light makes the baby go blind. Hmm. Maybe there's some sort of trend there. Is that how you get big in comedy? You're just sort of making me feel like I don't know anything about comedy at this point, because I don't know anything about any of this. (laughs) Well, this special was a mixed success. Some acts were more popular than others, and they actually split up the groups. They had everyone perform solo which caused some tempers to raise. But this sort of material, again, Jackson was still looking for the means of putting this on television. So he collaborated with Rick Mayall, and they ended up writing a script. Three people in particular, Rick Mayall, his then-girlfriend, Lisa Meyer, and popular comedy writer Ben Elton wrote the script for the first episode of The Young Ones, which was created as a sort of counterculture approach to television, because keeping in mind that the television of the late 70s, early 80s was, to quote one character on the show, very nice. Everyone lived in nice houses and got along perfectly, and, you know. So I have to admit, I don't know a whole lot about the UK television landscape, and I know, you know, to an extent, it's... It'll be somewhat different than what I would think of as, like, you know, the 70s television landscape here in the States. So, to that extent, about it being sort of like, you know, the ideal nuclear family. Oh, yes. All the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most commonly cited, quote-unquote, opponent of The Young Ones, despite, you know, airing, like, five years earlier, was The Good Life, which was about a family that left the city to form a self-sufficient lifestyle on a farm. they riffed on that in an episode i i feel like the best american equivalent would be sort of the corny sitcoms that we had essentially gotten rid of by the 60s early 70s the gilligan's island good acres beverly hillbillies sort of thing sure sure but they actually got rejected by the bbc (laughs) (laughs) is it just too prudish um yeah, they didn't know what to do with it. Since it's <laughs> very out there as a show. 
I'll say. But eventually, these groups went on to form the club slash group. It was the name of both. The Comic Strip. Which got its own show on the recently launched Channel 4, which starred pretty much the same people concurrently. You get a lot of the same actors appearing on both shows. And Channel 4 was, as I said, just introduced. It was sort of the young, hip, in-crowd sort of programming. So BBC was scared. Because so this was maybe more modern, like aiming for a younger audience or something? Yes, very. Ah. And so, as a result, The Young Ones was actually picked up by BBC Two in an attempt to... Oh, huh. Yes, in an attempt to outright compete with this. Interesting. So, originally, the stars of the show were these two groups that I mentioned. However, Peter Richardson got in a conflict with the producer. There's some different info going on around that but he left the show and timothy spall who's now known for playing the role of peter pettigrew in the harry potter movies was briefly considered because apparently he gave a really good audition but instead christopher ryan was added as for one he was a professional actor and they felt that all of these <laughs> anarchic Stand-up comics would be a bit too chaotic without... You need to give it some legitimacy, I guess. You never think about it. Just how many sitcoms end up being based off of stand-up material? God, not even just sitcoms. A lot of cartoons and movies, too, now that I think about it. No, that's more like... The ones I think of are more like 90s or so. Yeah, and this is more comedy acts than stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, for some reason, all I can think of is Baby's Kids. <laughs> Seinfeld. Fucking Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's too kind of small time compared to Baby's Kids, if you ask me. <laughs> my, my first thought was Full House. Is that, yeah, I guess it is. Just very much cleaned up. Oh, yeah. yes. Very cleaned <laughs> up. Very much cleaned up. Yes, back on topic. So, The Young Ones first aired in November of 1982 and concerns the antics of four housemates in the fictional Scumbag University. My alma mater. (laughs) They really have a knack for for names in this show. Something that you'll quickly notice. Mm -hmm. And the leader of the group is Mike the Cool Person. That is ambiguous as to whether or not that is his actual last name. Oh my god. (laughs) Played by Christopher Ryan, who's the charmer straight man of the group. Now this could be very, very heavy for all of us. What are we going to do, Mike? Mike, the cool person, stays steady as a rock while all around him is chaos. He checks his reflection. That's good. (laughs) That's very good. Got Rick, played by Mayall, who is a very childish anarchist who insists on yelling at everything and everyone when he doesn't get his way. That makes me a criminal! <laughs> right on! <laughs> yeah, this 
still shake them up at the anarchist society. <laughs> Occupying the refectory. So what? <laughs> this is the real stuff. <laughs> I'm a fugitive. A desperado. <laughs> I'm going to form a new union society, right? With me as president. People who don't pay their TV licenses against the Nazis. Vivian Bastard, played by Edmondson, <laughs> who is, to quote Wikipedia, a psychopathic, sociopathic, sadistic, misanthropic, punk medical student. Oh, no! The front door's exploded! <laughs> Whenever anything explodes in this house, it's always blame Vivian. Well, who do you suggest we blame? Thatcher! No! Blame whoever rang the front doorbell. Because they obviously triggered off the bomb I set up. I'm so who? fucking dumb and immature, because just having someone with the last name Bastard makes me laugh a lot. Well, they do point out that they weren't allowed to swear, but they could get away with the word bastard, so they used it a lot. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> Yeah. I think there were maybe like several independent people who weren't members of the same family who had the last name Bastard. <laughs> oh, yes. Several. It's just, it's just a common last name in this universe. <laughs> it's the Smith of the Young Ones universe. Hey, Neil, you haven't introduced me to your new pal. Bastard's the name. <laughs> but you can call me right bleeding. All my friends do. Well, indeed. How do you mean? I killed him. Where's your life? Well, that's just England. <laughs> well, you got me there. And additionally, we have Neil, played by Planer, who is a depressed hippie who is convinced that everyone is out to get him and is usually right about that. <laughs> and, and I wrote on it, sorry about everything being a bit of a bummer, you know, what with you dying and everything. Still, things could have been worse. You could have been me and ended up having a really bad time all of the time. Signed, Neil. And the cast is rounded out by... The Belowski family, played by Alexi Sale, who insisted on having the opportunity to play a multitude of characters instead of sticking with just one. Yeah. So, most notably, it was their Russian landlord, Jersey Belowski. It's the only one that appeared more than twice, but other ones included Billy Belowski, his brother, who believed he was a taxi driver, escaped convict. Brian Damage Belowski <laughs> and protest singer Alexei Yuri Gargarich Siege of Stalingrad Glorious Five Year Plan Sputnik Tractor Moscow Dynamo Plaque for Belowski. Man, I'm I'm so worried over the course of this episode that we're going to ruin so many good gags by explaining them. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing. I it's a bit of an overdone comment, but this is literally a show where anything can happen. Yeah. In, the Belowski for... family makes me think of the Beagle Boys. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Hello, everybody! Hello, Mike, my little Thunderbird puppet! Thunderbirds are go, yeah? Come on, let's twist again! Like yeah, yeah, yeah! Let's twist again! Like we didn't do in Moscow, because I've never been there, of course, you know, I am English person. Hi, I am Chelsea, yeah? Crazy, wacky landlord. You know, I like very much your English punk rock stars, you know? Your Lulu, your Dave Clark, right? Oh, yes! I think they are FAP, that's English for stupid, yeah! Okay, fantastic! Hey, yeah, Mike, additionally, Alexei Sale actually improvised most of his material. 
You know what? That, that checks out. <laughs> yeah, which explains why he would show up and the show would stop for two minutes. <laughs> while it he does. did his thing. Now that I think about it. But see, the worst thing about television, you see, um, I'm a Marxist comedian, you know, but um, since I've been doing a lot of television, a lot of me Marxist friends have accused me of selling out, you know, like they make me march at the back on demos, you know. And, uh, <laughs> they're all selling socialist worker and I have to sell the TV Times. <laughs> So I'd just like to take this opportunity on national television to assure you all, comrades, that honest to God, I have not sold out. But then again, this is a show that would often stop for two minutes for whatever. Because the writing was done in two teams, one being Mayala Meyer and the other being Elton working alone, each script would generally have enough material for two episodes and they would be forced to cut down. (laughs) I, I... I'm kind of surprised to hear that, considering some of the stuff I definitely thought would have gotten cut most definitely made it into the final cut of the episode. Mm-hmm. Like, well, two, like five-minute-long train conductor speeches and stuff like that. Oh, yes. Oh, that was an Alexi Sale bit. Yeah, I, I figured that now. But so those never go, huh? It was in the contract. <laughs> May I actually comment that the in-house relations amongst the characters were a take on the traditional nuclear family where Mike was the father, Neil was the mother, um, Vivian was the son, and Rick was the daughter. Mm-hmm. Which makes all the more common targets of the slapstick a bit more unfortunate in comparison, but <laughs> you know, so that's just one way of looking at it. Well, I mean, I guess if you consider it less like, you know, this is acting in, like, you know, a real, like, girlish, daughterish way, and more like, well, this is the role that, like, daughters usually filled on these... Yeah, exactly, more like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of slapstick, it was a very violent show. Things got destroyed on a regular basis. (laughs) Probably best exemplified by the introduction of the character of Vivian, where in the middle of a Uh. conversation amongst the other three, he bursts through the wall of the room holding a severed leg, and lands on the table. I've got a leg! I'm Vivian, that's not unusual. No, no, look! I'm supposed to write an essay on it, right? But I think I'm just going to stick it on the bonnet of my car. Yeah, that, yes. that sums up the characterization pretty well. You get things like, at one point, most of this destruction is tied to him. He bites into a brick at one point, and it explodes. <laughs> Which makes just as much sense in context. Well, by the way, for a bit of, if I can explain a bit of context for the show, um, Mir and I have watched four or so episodes. I watched uh, them all on my own time. Well, fuck, never mind. (laughs) I'm the only one in the dark, actually. So I'm hearing a lot of this for the first time. Yes. A lot of destruction, a lot of episodes end with them just outright getting killed, including the pilot. (laughs) Oh no! That plane is going to crash on us! The pilot ends with their house getting bombed, and everyone involved perishing horribly. That's life. Yes. A lot of characters would beat up on each other a lot. They're... It's very, like, the, the, oh. one of the first impressions I got was it was very, like, Three Stooges-y. 
Yes, very Three Stooges, very Looney Tunes, since it's never... Oh, definitely. It's, it's very more... cartoony violence, even though yeah, at one point the character gets his like... head chopped off. <laughs> yes, it definitely takes things a few steps further than Stooges. Yes! <laughs> Do not lean out of the window! I wonder why! Another defining aspect of the show was actually that every episode included a musical interlude where they would bring on a popular band of the time. And this was actually a creative choice because by doing so, the show could be classified as a variety program (laughs) and they would receive a higher budget and more shooting time than an ordinary sitcom would. Holy shit, that's incredible. Yes. I had no idea why they were there. I just thought it was, you know, part of... Both just to contribute to it being really, like, disjointed and bizarre, but then also sort of add to, like, the punky aesthetic. Oh, yes. It's very punky. It's so punk that the Damned, who had broken up by this point, actually reunited for the purpose of doing an original song on the show. Oh my god, that's really... Yes, only one episode doesn't have a musical interlude, and in its place to keep the variety show classification, it has a lion tamer instead. Oh my god, that's so good. Why wouldn't they do the lion tamer every session then? Because they set it up in Rick's room. (laughs) Oh, that's not surprising. Well, I'm going to look in your bin for the pips! He shouldn't do that. Why not? There's a lion tamer in my bedroom. Yes, as you mentioned, the very disjointed nature, it would often have a lot of cutaways as well. Whereas, for example, especially in the first season, a character would make a comment and then it would switch over to completely different characters in a completely different setting. That would, like, would zoom in on some background element or something in the show and be like, what's going on in here? Or it'll exactly. expand, yeah. or it'll, like, expand out and be like, well, actually, all this is happening like in this co- in the context of like, you know, there being they're like a small, you know, thing in like a, a glass sample that they're being observed. In. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Human beings the size of amoebas. Uh, yeah, and would also do the thing where just the old Seth MacFarlane method of something that shouldn't be able to talk is talking. <laughs> the show yeah. made heavy use of puppetry, most notably with the recurring character of Vivian's hamster special patrol group. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made the observation that it was very Pee-wee's Playhouse-y. Oh, yes. Except it was used very intermittently. <laughs> Don't look at me. I'm irrelevant. <laughs> oh, of course. And they were very self-aware about it. Where, you know, it would tie into something in most cases. I mean, the one that everyone brings up is where... A character states that, you know, he would like to be a fly on the wall in these sorts of situations. 
and then they cut to a fly on the wall. Here we go. Uh, we're just the uh, fly on the wall documentary film crew, okay, now? Um, we just make a short film about what it's really like to be a fly on the wall. So well, probably the best thing is if you can just uh, imagine we're not here, okay? Just uh, carry on with your normal daily business. All right. And cue question. I feel like in these cutaway gags, it, they often end with the subject of them getting killed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily always, but killed frequently. or destroyed a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a very violent show. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> All right, what's a hippie worth? Six? Six? It would have been six if you killed him, Michael. Ah, that's 22. Fair enough. No, standard episode plot would just be something incredibly simple. Well, no, not always. But sometimes it would be incredibly simple. Or in say they move to a new house or they throw a party or it's raining yeah so and, not not too different than other sitcoms maybe even a bit more simplified but yeah. then i mean in these specific ones that i've listed say one of them announces that he struck oil in the cellar <laughs> <laughs> i did notice a sudden shift in the synopsis of the episode midway through a couple times yes i mean the it's raining episode london floods <laughs> and also one of them has created a potion that turns one into an axe-wielding maniac <laughs> it's a as cure one... for not being an axe-wielding maniac <laughs> as a cure yes and, and shenanigans yeah. ensue what is this shit yeah, yeah, I put it in a Coke can so nobody drink it by mistake. <laughs> you know, I just bet a bit later on somebody does drink that and turns into an axe-wielding homicidal maniac. <laughs> yes, I bet that as well. That's just the sort of crazy imaginative thing that happens around here, isn't it? Yeah, he also goes to Narnia. Yeah. During really? a game. Yes. During a game of hide-and-seek. Yes, he just uh, goes into the closet. <laughs> And all of a sudden, he's in Narnia. Like, I'm wow. pretty sure they outright state it's Narnia at one point. Good. Look, Your Majesty. A young fawn. That's not a fawn. That's a man-child, son of Adam. His presence signals danger. It's the prophecy. Silence. We must question him. Hello, little Yeah, it's a show that would... I tend to... I would describe the... It as the plot gets distracted. Yeah, um, most very much. One of them, where... generally considered the best episode, starts with everyone deciding that it's wash day and they all need to go to the laundry. And after about 15 minutes of that, one of them just remembers, oh yeah, I meant to tell you, we're competing on University Challenge tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's one of the ones that I did actually watch and... I think that was the first one I saw that had, like, a big shift in the middle like that, and it definitely got me. Yes. I mean, some of them are odd from the get-go. In one, an unexploded bomb falls through their roof and blocks the fridge. Gotcha, Vivian! Using my ketchup on your cornflakes! I couldn't get any milk out of the fridge! Why? What are you? A spazzy! <laughs> there just happens to be an atom bomb in front of the door! That's the most pathetic excuse I've ever... Gordon Walters! 
And in another, Vivian believes that he's pregnant. <laughs> what? what? I'm going to have a baby! <laughs> that's impossible! Yeah, that's what she said! You just can't trust women, can you? <laughs> but, but, h- how did it happen? Oh, come on, Rick, how old are you? <laughs> rather a personal question, isn't it? <laughs> didn't your mother ever tell you about the birds and the bees? Mine did, but I didn't believe her. <laughs> well, I mean, what if the bird got stung, like, halfway through? <laughs> Again, I, well, I, mean, I attribute this to the, you know, every one of them had enough material for two episodes, so they cut down, and as a result, you can generally sense the midway shift, especially yeah. in the second season. Sound, yeah. Some of them were definitely very defined. Like, you could literally pinpoint the exact line where everything just changes. Greetings <laughs> from South Africa. Ah! It's a vampire! In a parcel! In the kitchen! Hate mail. What are we going to do? Any pop music and As I stated before, it's also very counterculture and against the standard feel-good sitcoms of the era it's not a not a show your mummy would want you watching that's for sure oh that's a that's a comment that's something that british people would say right (laughs) (laughs) no 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 i'm not watching the bloody good one bloody 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 i hate it it's so bloody nice Felicity Treacle Kendall and Richard Sugar Flavored Snob Brass! What do I do now? Chocolate bloody butt nuts, that's what! They're nothing but a couple of reactionary stereotypes confirming the myth that everyone in Britain is a lovable middle class eccentric, and I hate them! In that same sense, like, this was a show about university students for university students. Mm hmm. Dick got very topical and political at times. There are a lot of Thatcher jokes. Yeah, a lot of them are to the... A lot of it is topical and political to the time period, to the extent that I do not understand what they're trying to say at all. Yes, my my personal favorite episode revolves around them trying to watch a video nasty. Do either of you actually know what a video nasty is? I have heard the term before, but I'm not entirely clear on what it was, and I just assumed it was some sort of fucked up porn. You're not that far off. Actually, it was a group of films banned in Britain by the moral censors for having a tendency to deprave and corrupt. (laughs) Oh. There are 72 films on that list. I have watched all of them, and most of them are bad. Why am I not surprised to hear this? Hmm. And there's some good movies on there. Evil Dead is one of them. Oh, shit. Okay, then I have seen some of them. Wow. Yeah. Damn, I'm more depraved than I thought. Exactly. You're absolutely awful. What do you mean you're not going to bed tonight? Michael and I are going to indulge in an all-night orgy of sex and violence. What, in the drawing room? Yeah. First, we're going to have sex with the headless corpse of the virgin astronaut. Let <laughs> the carpet get awfully sticky. It's this a is a television series that is partially being made in response to the reception. And, and the young ones actually did not receive the best ratings. 
would be yeah I'm considered not average honestly. by modern standards, but kind of low by the numbers of the early 80s. From the time before the internet. The thing is, this was actually the rise of VHS and home recording, which is attributed to a lot of the positive response that the show eventually got. People would report that they were, you know, recording not even video, just holding audio recorders up to the screen just so that they (sighs) could tape their favorite parts and play them over and over. They actually sort of made it in response to that. There are things that are generally hidden and not noticed upon until a repeat viewing. Oh, damn. Like, was there anything in the stuff that I watched that I would have missed? Well, for example, in the first season, there's actually a fifth housemate. Wait, what? (laughs) Oh. Yep, in the background of several shots, you can just see another person sitting with their hair covering their face. What the fuck? I'm just doing nothing. Their ghost roommate. Yes, Holy shit. this. Apparently, they just held a party and someone never left. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this was not confirmed until 2016. Oh my god. Oh my god. And the performer wasn't identified until 2018, so. Wow. That's where we are now. Yeah. Oh my god. And the second series actually had a collection of flash frames. I did notice that. Yes. I was like, yeah, you would have random image flash on the screen very quickly. I did not notice that. Yeah, Um, I'll I'll admit when I first saw it, I thought that it was just an error with the uh, uploading. Yeah, Yeah, same. I was like, is this a glitch? What is this? (laughs) And sometimes I would like just notice what the image was enough to be like, that's too out of place. That doesn't belong there. Is it, it has well, what, to be intentional. <laughs> I hope it's not like them flashing shitty stuff like that one Invader Zim thing. Oh, no. It was like, I remember one specifically was like a frog leaping. Yeah. So random things, pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> well, okay. it was actually done because, you know, people said that they would go back and pause. So they put in something to pause for. <laughs> and it's just like random stock footage, like the ending of a cowboy movie, or <laughs> a shot of a rusty tap dripping. Okay. Yeah, I th- and... I thought it was like a play on paranoia about like um, subliminal messages and oh, stuff. Yeah, that's the that thing. They were actually going to end it in the final episode with a gag that. If I recall correctly, it was just a joke about how they never wanted to do these stupid flash frames anyway. (laughs) But people called the BBC and complained about subliminal messaging. (laughs) So they made them take it down. Uh. Pain away. In my busy life as a working mum, nursery school teacher, and anguished soul cast into the pit for all eternity, sometimes I get those headachey pains. That strange, washed-out feeling that you just can't explain. She's talking about period pains. (laughs) So next time you get one of those pains, I recommend a hysterectomy. And it'll be gone in no time at all. Ouch! Oh, one other thing about the show is that looking back, it's essentially a who's who of British comedy of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Because in addition to the leads who were 
esteemed comics in their own right. You, you got people like Don French and Jennifer Saunders who have their own audience. And one episode actually had cameo appearances from Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry, and Emma Thompson. You know, it's a rotten shame. I went to see the careers officer in Big College yesterday, and he said that all he got left was chairman of British Rail. Well, I wanted to be director general of the BBC. Yes, yeah, rotten. They gave it to Scapper just because he directed our world tour of Hamlet and wrote our hilarious review, What Ho Dark? Honestly, chairman of a nationalised industry. I'd rather be a cabinet minister. Well, I'm all right because my daddy's bought me the socialist workers' Yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Alexei Sale, who was an actual Marxist and anti-establishment person... <laughs> complained that they were the enemy and they shouldn't be on the show. <laughs> wow. Oh my god. Oh. Well done, <laughs> class. Five points. And what is the chemical equation? Uh, I've got a Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's not exactly what I've got written on the card, but I knew your father, so footlights see by 25. Yeah. Daddy said Well, this being Britain, this was a short run. There's multiple reasons given for it. I mean, mostly along the lines of they thought they'd done enough and they just wanted to move on. Well, when you say it was a short run in that it's like, you know, in a, in a British way, is it the sort of thing where it's a British show that has like two episodes when it went on for years and years? Um, no, it ran from it ran for two seasons of six episodes, 12 episodes total from 1982 to 1984. Oh, wow. So I watched a lot more of it than I thought. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was written as this big finale, since the plot concerns them getting evicted and <laughs> destitute, and eventually they steal a bus and all die, by <laughs> crashing off of a cliff. What's the difference? There'll be plenty of chicks for these tigers on the road to the promised land. This is it! It's really happening! Who needs qualifications? Who cares about Thatcher and unemployment? We can do just exactly whatever we want to do. And do you know why? Because we're young ones. Bachelor boys. Crazy, mad, wild-eyed, big-bottomed anarchists. Look out! Cliff! Into a billboard of Cliff Richards. Yes. Who sang the opening. Yes. The show begins with Cliff Richards and it ends with Cliff Richards. Yes. I don't think I picked up on that. Very poetic. Phew! That was close! You know, people asked for more. They didn't really do more, of course, but that didn't mean the end of the characters, even though the... Like I said, it ended with all of them dying. That means nothing... Most of them had died several times already. <laughs> yeah. These characters were occasionally revisited. There were a couple of books written. Bachelor Boys and Neil's Book of the Dead, both written in 1984. Nigel Planer released an album of music and skits in character as Neil, entitled Neil's Heavy Concept Album. Okay. So it was all covers, and one single from the album actually reached number two on the British singles charts. And all that I knew was the hole in my shoe which was letting in water Letting in water 
feel like it's easier to get there in the UK. Oh, of course. I mean... It's a smaller country. Yeah. Than the US. So novelty hits happen quite more than they do here. Precisely. And Is that of why course, Crazy Frog took off over there? <laughs> there's also a couple of instances of them reprising their characters. While I believe it was during the run of the show, there is a video of three of them doing a cover of My Generation. Which is beautiful, by the way. I can only imagine. And appropriately enough, given their bookend, in 1986, they actually recorded a song with Cliff Richards. <laughs> they did a song and video for his previous hit, Living Doll. I don't really think he got it. <laughs> Cliff Richards is a very clean-cut person, and they actually did do a live performance at one of these charity Listen, stage shows. Why don't you and I do the single now? Just get down on top of it and be funky! Well, sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? <laughs> it's about the song I've got to talk to you about. Yes, that. yes. Now, this isn't easy for me, Rick. Yes. In fact, it's very, very hard. And I'm not talking about my... Oh, ah, ah, ah. Remember, Cliff's in the building. We don't want anyone saying penis. <laughs> we don't want you in the song anymore. Did they ever get to meet Margaret Thatcher? They did not. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Neil, the bathroom's free, unlike the country under the Thatcherite junta. <laughs> also in 1986, there was a video game. Wait, what? It was released by Orpheus for the Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, and ZX Spectrum. So I've got to imagine, pretty bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was actually impossible to win. <laughs> okay. Because of bugs in the code, and the company dropped out before these issues could be made. However, over 10,000 copies of the game were sold. <laughs> Maybe it's intentional and it's just really avant-garde. <laughs> yes, in addition to being cited as a common source of inspiration, it did actually get to follow-up shows in a sense. Oh, really? Yeah. The first of which, Filthy Rich and Cat Flap. <laughs> Lasted for one season in 1987, written by Ben Elton, starring Planer Edmondson and Mayall, where they played unpleasant showbiz people. And Bottom. (laughs) 
which ran for five seasons from 1991 to 1995, written by and starring Edmondson and Mayall, who played very unpleasant middle-aged people. (laughs) To quote their contemporaries, they were very good at trying to kill each other. Hmm. They did do more comedy acts, which got increasingly dangerous around this time. At one point, Adrian Edmondson was actually set on fire and forgot the safe word. (laughs) Oh. So he almost burned to death on stage. (laughs) Well, not burned to death, but it was unpleasant. (laughs) I'm sure it was. Yes, Associated Acts also spun off into popular shows such as Blackadder, Saturday Live, and Absolutely Fabulous. Which, trust me, are big names amongst British television. (laughs) I will take your word for it. I've heard of Blackadder. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. Yes, we'll probably discuss some of these at a later date. It's it's, It's crazy how British television is in such, such, such its own world, you know? Well, like, speaking of which, we all speak we all speak the same language, man. What's up with that? <laughs> speaking of which, <laughs> there was an American pilot of the show shot for Fox in 1990. Oh, it was in called Oh No, Not Them, and hmm. it starred Nigel Planer reprising his role and Jackie Earl Haley, hmm. and it was not picked up and is not publicly available. So you can probably imagine how it was. Yeah. Maybe they missed the call. Apparently Planer was very pleased that he didn't have to fulfill a contract. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, despite the mixed reception of the time, of course the kids loved it. The moral guardians hated it. Apparently it had a fan base among cops, which Hmm. annoyed them to no end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. That, that kind of annoys me just to hear about it. Exactly. Me too. Yes, if you're a cop, stop listening. <laughs> we don't want you. Yeah, you're not welcome Fuck you, here. pigs. <laughs> That's probably, that I guess explains why there were so many, like, cop-based jokes. And... <laughs> just stop watching our show. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Too loud. The neighbors have been complaining. <laughs> you just watch your steps, Sonny. Over time, it's become seen as the turning point in British comedy. Huh, as no kidding. People have said that you can divide British televised comedy into before young ones and after young ones because it is the primary source for a lot of particularly slapstick humor. So it's, it's the the Christ of comedy. <laughs> its influences can still be seen to this day. And it did actually make a splash here in a sense. It was the one of the first non-music related shows that was aired on MTV back in 1985. Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah, it was still kind of musically based. <laughs> True. I feel like it, it fits into that whole like counterculture. Yeah, young and hip. Yeah. Kind of what MTV was back in the yeah. day. Yeah, but in 2004, the BBC actually compiled a poll of Britain's best sitcoms, and this ranked number 31. Hmm. Before you ask, number one was Only Fools and Horses, which I know nothing about. 
But number two I... was Blackadder, which is good. I like Blackadder. <laughs> when did you become so familiar with British television? I'm really not. <laughs> I know you had like a Monty Python thing for a little bit. I did too. Yes, I went, I went to high school. <laughs> okay, you know, good point. And to answer your question, I took Shakespeare classes in college. You have to talk Blackadder then, since they did a few things regarding that. And I'll be honest, I did not watch this show until a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. But then you decided right then and there, like, we need to talk about this? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were you aware of, like, the reputation it had or, like, the significance um, that it held? In a sense. I mean... I was vaguely aware of it. Our cultural flagstone Homestar Runner did make a few references to it, so <laughs> it was in my yeah. periphery. And that's how we that's how we learn about things around here. Exactly. <laughs> Usually. Well that's how you learn about the eighties. <laughs> there you go. Screw yeah, ready player one. Just watch Homestar. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, what are you doing watching Ready Player One anyway? I mean I haven't, but I I know it's full of 80s references, and that's just the thrust of the entire thing. So I'm sure yeah. if, if I had read it or watched it, I still wouldn't know as much about the 80s as I would just for watching Homestar <laughs> Runner cartoons. <laughs> wow, now I know what Back to the Future is. Thanks, Ready Player One. Yeah, I mean, Young Ones does hold this sort of cultural milestone, which is odd as an American viewer. You you see yeah. everyone talking about which friend's character they are. They never talk about which young one they are. <laughs> Does anyone want to be any of them? Actually, while I was watching, oh I have God. a group of friends. I'm not going to name them. They can <laughs> no drag them. They drag can them right guess here. who they are. But I, in my head, I was like, this person is definitely Vivian. This one's Mike. This one's um. Rick and Neil, I guess, is the one who doesn't live with them anymore because they don't <laughs> like him. <laughs> you see, as I watched, I just began to relate to Rick to an uncomfortable amount. Right. <laughs> Hands up, who likes me? <laughs> Damn! Right, that's it. I'm going to kill myself. Then you'll be sorry. No, we won't. Speaking of which, we're probably going to have to mention the... This did launch the careers of everyone involved. Most of them have gone on to bigger and better things. I know Nigel Planner does a lot of the... He does a lot of West End stuff now. But Rick Mayall, unfortunately, passed away a few years ago. Huh. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, he was one of the... He was the driving force, so... I actually got a good portion of the information for this from a couple of documentaries that they made. They did a making of for one of the anniversaries, and earlier this year they aired How the Young Ones Changed Comedy, which I wholly recommend. I'll need to check that out. Yeah, I wholly yeah. recommend it if you are curious about the subject. Well, also I'll need to watch the rest of the show, because apparently I'm the only one here who was deprived. <laughs> Uh, well, I feel like I should give a warning to listeners about one specific thing, which is at one point in, I don't remember the episode, but... Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. A is character it... drops the N-word. It was like a cop in a kind of throwaway scene. Just, yeah. I was, I was like, oh, 
I mean, which is partially <laughs> looser standards of the era, also definitely for shock value. Yeah, and I guess how much they hate cops. Yeah. Because it was a cop who said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as for reactions, I, like I said, I never knew what to expect with this show, and I loved it for that. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like we've, dis- we've discussed to some extent on here before that it can be tricky writing comedy that sort of centers around like an element of randomness you know oh yes yeah but it's more difficult to do than one might expect yeah well just because a lot of time it can come across as cheap and lacking any sort of like wit i mean especially if it's this style of random with constant cutaway gags and that yeah oh yeah well i mean that sort of thing gained infinite like infamy with the seth MacFarlane school of comedy Mm. so but on on the contrary i feel like this show just generally uses it pretty effectively like i'm not necessarily the like the most up on british comedy in the world but it it didn't really feel like alienating or anything like that it was sort of an evolution of sorts of the python-esque humor yeah yeah i i definitely felt that but i don't know i can't help but feel like there's maybe something more approachable in just how slapstick it was i guess yeah i mean it's also very difficult to make comedy out of very unlikable characters yeah definitely. i'll be honest that's why i couldn't get into the office <laughs> yeah well especially if you're talking like if you go all the way as far as something like south park where it's like i i just can't find any r- redeeming element in any of like the, the characters or comedy just because it's all so despicable this one's Jewish, therefore it's okay to have mm. anti-Semitic humor. <laughs> so, like, but yeah, I feel like it's balanced out by the absurdity. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. just all these different forces coming together to create something that could only be made in that time and place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It definitely feels like it was very much drenched in a certain, a certain culture. <laughs> If you want to get even more drenched in culture, join us again next yeah. time. Thank you for listening to It's Symbolic. Like <laughs> what? I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> well, you'll take it and you'll like it. Uh, I don't have a choice. If you have a suggestion for something for us to cover, you can contact us on Twitter at It's Symbolic PC. Or through email at itsymbolicpodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram at itsymbolicpodcast. I learned how to use Instagram last week. It was exciting. (laughs) It's a learning experience for us all. We're very proud of Ben. Good job, Ben. I'm in IT. (laughs) Thanks for doing that for me. Yes. And matter where you're listening to us, be it iTunes, Podbean, your own other podcast app leave a rating and review it helps more than you think and spread the word now if you think that other people will enjoy what we're doing we want them to enjoy what we're doing you better fucking tell them i'll know if you don't Mm. (laughs) well i'm jacob i'm mir i'm ben 
next time the shamisen lessons are finally going to pay off. Ah, I hear you've been practicing lately. You want to give us a sample? You were supposed to buy the shamisen lessons. Well, you think just because I studied Japanese... Don't don't tell me you did... I don't think it's fair to assume that I'm going to do everything relating to Japanese culture. You need to start blowing your own way, too. I ran the entire Gregory Horror Show episode. Yeah, but...